Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I'm sitting here with uh, my wife and the mother of our kids. Um, and we wanted to come to you today just in a little different way. And it's something special uh, for mothers. We, we hope you enjoy this day, even though I know that the, a lot of the things like going out to eat or maybe spend time with your family isn't um, going to be necessarily possible. But I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to take a break from our James series. And we're going to jump into uh, this whole idea of a mother's influence. And one of the things that we want to encourage you with is really knowing that a mother's influence is great and what you can do within your family. See, Mother's Day is a celebration where we honor our mothers. And you've heard uh, the saying uh, he has a faith that, uh, or sorry, he has a face that only a mother could love. Um, and by the way, that's a cut down. Um, but the reality is also that there is just something about a mother's love uh, with her kids, and, and, and in, even in reality, uh, a wife's love with her husband. But today we want to focus on moms, and so we're going to dig into First Samuel chapter one. Um, we're going to read certain sections of the scripture. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We would encourage you to read that with that. Uh, but we want you to know that we believe wholeheartedly in our mothers. And I believe that men or husbands, as you listen to this sermon, there are a lot of things you can learn from your wives or from your moms uh, that will help you as well in your walk as you prepare uh, to be obedient to God. You know, they say there's a number of things when it comes to to mothers and things like that. They say, number one, at age four, uh, uh, you have this idea or belief that mom can do anything. At the age of 12, it's that mom doesn't know everything. At the age of 14, it's that mom doesn't know anything. Um, and I kind of think about this with fathers as well a lot of times, the way teenagers react. At 18, it's this whole idea that mom's so out of touch, she doesn't get anything. Um, at 25, the person or the, the child begins to go, hey, mom does know something or a few things. At 35, the idea is that before we decide, let's ask mom. At 45, it's like, I wonder what mom would say or mom would do. And then they say at the age of 65, the idea is, oh, I wish I could only just talk with my mom. And so I think that's some of the reality of what's going on or what we see in most of our lives. Um, and so we just want to jump in uh, and, and, and dig into 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you know anything about 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, it's the story of Elkanah. Uh, it's the story of um, his wife, Perina, uh, sorry, Penina, and then Hannah, which leads to the birth of Samuel. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you that context. We're going to jump in, starting at verse 1. It says, there was a certain man from Rethaim, uh, Ramathaim, uh, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, a son of Jeho uh, Jerahoam, uh, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives, one called Hannah and the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Now, I think that this is going to lead us into our first uh, point, but before I give you the first point, I want to really give you the idea or the, the key statement. Matter of fact, I'm going to give that over to my wife. She's going to express that, and then we'll we'll continue to move on. Um, the mother's great problem is uh, point number one, and um, there are a lot of things that happen that are difficult in women's lives, and some is um, that some struggle to. Uh, have children at all. Um, and that can cause a lot of bad feelings 
towards uh, mothers who can, um, maybe even cause friction in, within your home, um, in your own marriage. And um, so this is a huge problem uh, for Hannah. Yeah, and in the midst of that, I want you to think about this. Matter of fact, if you remember anything else, I want you to remember this throughout this whole uh, sermon today is this, that a mother's influence makes a lasting legacy on the lives of her children and those around them. In other words, the, the influence of a mom doesn't just bear weight upon her children. It bears weight upon the friendships and relationships she has with other women. It bears weight upon the children's friends or, or your children's friends and things like that. I think about so many great uh, parents that we have relationships with, the people that I grew up with. Um, you know, I, I think of so often the, the guys who helped coach. Matter of fact, one of my better friends growing up, his, his name is Brian. As a matter of fact, he, he may watch today, but his dad recently passed away. And, and the struggle is that his dad was my basketball coach. His dad was a key influence in my baseball life. Matter of fact, we had key, uh, big competitions uh, between uh, my team and, and Brian's team and his dad. So we have a lot of great friendships and relationships. His dad had a huge influence on my life. But his mom did as well. And those are things that we begin to see. A mother's influence makes a lasting legacy on the lives or leaves a lasting legacy on the lives of her children. But it also leaves a lasting legacy in the lives of others or in, in other individuals. And so we see this great problem brought up here. <clears throat> Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And so we see this whole idea in, in Scripture is this, that a Hebrew man's possessions were always bound up uh, or, or tied to his having a son. And so what we see is Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Hannah was the first wife, but she didn't bear any children, so therefore Peninnah was the second wife. Now we can look at this and go, well, that's out of line, which I believe wholeheartedly it is. It's out of line biblically. But what we begin to understand is that the reason why this was practiced in Hebrew culture was because that all the possessions, all the land, all the money, all the finances would be transferred to children or sons, not to wives, not to daughters even. Um, and so his wife's inability to conceive a son was regarded as a curse for many there. And, and here's what we want to really kind of communicate in that, <clears throat> you know, we've had a lot of friends who have, have had, you know, whether it be miscarriages or who, who just haven't been able to bear children. And, and we've had to, you know, walk through and listen to and help and, and just be a, a comfort uh, during those times to, to hear the frustrations and things like that. And I think one of the biggest struggles that I would say most women struggle with would be that maybe my value isn't as much because I can't bear. Or maybe you question, what is God doing? What, what is he trying to accomplish in and through this? And so while we want to walk softly through this, we also want to encourage you. And I think some of that encouragement comes in this, that your value in this world is not wrapped up in and not even seen in God's eyes based upon your childbearing. Your value is, is intrinsic in and of itself because Jesus died on the cross for you, because God made you, he formed you, he fashioned you, he loves you, he loves you so much he gave his son. So your value is not wrapped up in that. But I know that there are struggles with that. And I think that that's one of those things, you know, when, when I approached Sarah about this, 
that we knew uh, that this is a this is a tough topic, a tough issue. And so, how how do you how do you, how does somebody deal with that or walk through that problem or process? Well, I know um, I personally um, didn't have. Uh, didn't have that struggle. Um, but I have a lot of good friends who, um, walked through that, um, maybe losing children or, um, not being able to bear at all. Um, and for those of us that aren't personally walking through it, um, I think it's just really important to, um, hear and listen to those who are struggling. Uh, I think that we, can provide a lot of comfort in those situations, um, even though we haven't walked it ourselves. Um, I know that I had a, a good friend in Springfield who um, struggled with a couple of miscarriages. And I remember I would just ask her every once in a while, how are you feeling? Um, do you wanna talk about it? Because it seems to be something that people aren't really comfortable with talking about a lot of times. And so we just kind of skirt around the issue. Um, and I think that we can be, um, a comfort by um, being available. Yeah, yeah, being available and listen. And, and and here here's one of the things you know that I think about as we kind of jump into the rest of this. It says in verse three, year after year, this is talking about uh, Elkanah. Uh, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But listen to this. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, in other words, Peninnah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why do you not eat? Why are you down, uh, down uh, hearted or, or downtrodden? And, and here's what I want you to think about just in the midst of this. Um, you know, if, if you are one who has struggled with bearing children or are or, or infertile or, 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 or things like that, I want you to know this, that based upon the biblical, based upon scripture and what we see is this, is that you, you are in a, a long line or a long list of women of faith who struggled with infertility. And, the, and, the, and the, the comfort you can get is this, is that in God's timing, he may answer that, that prayer for, for a, a child. You know, we, I, I think of this long line, we've got Sarah who was married to Abraham and didn't have a child till she was 90. Now, talk Ooh. about a miracle in of itself. I mean, we're we're in our mid 40s. Well, sorry, I'm in my mid 40s. Thank you. And we were just talking the other day what would ever happen if we had another kid. We're like, oh, oh my gosh, we don't even want to begin to think about that. Um, you know, you got Rebecca, uh, Isaac's wife. You have Rachel, who was Jacob's other wife. And then on top of that, you have Ruth, who was unable to bear her first husband before he passed away, a child. And then later, obviously, is in the lineage of, of, of King David, which leads us into the line of, of Jesus. And so, if you are somebody who struggles with this, know this, that women of great faith have struggled with this in the past. So don't take this as a value issue. If you're unable to bear a child, it may be that you are being reserved for something or, or kept for another blessing. What I love about this section of scripture right here is this, that in the midst of this story, um, 
You know, Peninnah got a portion of meat, but Elkanah, he got a double portion. So husbands, one of the things I could use as an encouragement is this, is that you try and be a blessing to your wife during these things. And one of the things I, I look at, are you laughing at the very end of that, mm-hmm. that section? Listen, listen, this is the beauty of scripture and how dumb men can be sometimes. Go ahead and read that. Don't that. I mean more to you than 10 sons? Right. I mean, and sometimes well-meaning people can say really stupid things. Yeah, like husbands and when that you is do one. this with your wife. <laughs> Like, like, I mean, listen to what Elkanah says. He's like, huh, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Like, I mean, I can and see us in our, no. in our banter. I could see <laughs> us easily being like, I, I could see myself saying that. Oh, yeah. Of course, digging the hole deeper or putting my foot <laughs> in my mouth farther than it could ever go or even trying to get it out. But those are the things that we have to begin to understand is that, that there, there is a great problem in every mother's life. And there are difficulties and there are struggles and infertility may be one. Uh-huh. But it's not insurmountable. It's not overcomable. And it's not, uh, it's not degrading or devaluing. You are valuable regardless of what you face. And so we have to begin to think about that. And I also think about it this way. God may be reserving you for a double portion of blessing. I don't know when it comes to God's sovereignty. I don't know why some people can and some people can't bear children or some people have difficulties and, and others don't. But I can tell you this is that I know that God sits on the throne. He sees your worry. He sees your hurt. And he will answer based upon what he feels is best for you. So I want to encourage you with that. Number two, I want you to see this. We're going to jump into verse 10 uh, and really on to end of verse 11 and following. Uh, But I want you to see this, that when we talk about a mother's influence, making or leaving a lasting legacy on the lives of her children, I want you to understand we have great problems. Mothers have great problems. Number two, that mothers have heartache and brokenness. Go ahead and read read verse 10, Sarah, in, 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 in 10 through 11. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she said, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So, so here's the heartache. Here's what she's saying. Everything is going wrong. There are issues at home. She's struggling with these difficulties. All of this stuff is kind of playing out. And, and while Elkanah's trying to encourage her with the words that we just talked about, he went a little bit too far. Matter of fact, we talk about giving a double portion and things like that. But listen to what she says again. In the bitterness of her soul, Hannah wept. All right. And then she prayed. She wept much and she prayed. Listen, there's going to be a lot of heartache and there's a lot of brokenness in a mother's life. Sometimes it revolves between relationship with husband and wife. Maybe there's some complications and difficulties and arguments. But a lot of times there's a lot of pain and sorrow and heartache when we deal with our kids. You know, when we see our kids make mistakes and struggle with difficulties and maybe they have broken friendships and relationships or, or struggles with school or, or things like that. And I just want you to think about this, that bitterness and heartache can wreck your soul instead of pouring your soul out to God. And what I love about this is it says that she wept. And, and listen to what it says in verse 10, in bitterness of soul. In other words, this whole idea that 
deep down inside there's a bitterness there that I believe in the midst of her weeping, in the midst of her pouring out her soul, that God brought comfort and healing to. And I believe that he answers that in this next section as we jump in. So I want you to think about this. A mother's influence leaves a lasting legacy in the lives of her children and others. And how you deal with heartache and brokenness is one of those those issues, right? Yeah, and I feel like... Um out of the movie The Lion King, I remember when Simba is very um, upset because his his father was taken from him. And and um, so he just ran away. And he didn't deal with the hurt and the emptiness and the brokenness. And I remember the crazy monkey comes and whacks him <laughs> on the head and says, um, you know, whacks him on the head. Simba says, what'd you do that for? And he says, why does it matter? It's in the past. And he says, yeah, but it still hurts. And the monkey says, yeah, the past can hurt, but you can either run from it or learn from it. And I feel like that's kind of what the issue is here with heartache and brokenness. Either we can run away from it, we can let it take bitterness in our soul, or we can learn from it and we can help others maybe um, at some point in time. We can walk with others. We can actually... um, walk shoulder to shoulder and um, help other people who are dealing with that bitterness and um, that heartache and the brokenness. Yeah. Here's the third thing we want you to see. Remember, keep it in mind, a mother's influence leaves a lasting legacy on the lives of her children and the lives of others. Here's the third thing we want to see. I believe wholeheartedly that a mother's prayer life or a mother's powerful prayer life leads to that legacy. How you pray for your kids, how you pray for your family is going to change drastically how your heart responds during heartache and brokenness. Uh, The the power of a praying mother is great. Matter of fact, it says this, and I kind of wanted to unpack this. In verse 10, it says that she prayed to the Lord. In verse 12, it says that she kept praying. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. So they're sitting in this time, they're going to the temple area to worship. She kept praying to the Lord. In verse 13, it says that she poured out her heart. In verse 15, it says she prayed in her heart. And then in verse 16, it says praying out of anguish and grief. In other words, the heartache and brokenness. And so I, I just want to read it real quick. It says that she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. You know, when our wives talk to us guys, sometimes we might be thinking that, but the reality is it's not. She's just going to roll her eyes because it's not going to matter. But listen to what he says in verse 15. Not so. This is what she says. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. In other words, over the heartache and brokenness. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been here praying out of my great anguish and grief. And here's what I want you to begin to understand. Mothers, one of the greatest things you can do for your kids daily is pray. As a matter of fact, I would ask you this question. How, how does that affect your relationship with our kids? Um, I think <clears throat> that prayer is something that connects you um, with your kids, even if you're not praying necessarily with them. But when you're praying for them, I feel like God um, softens your heart towards um, kind of their humanness and their struggle at times. Whereas um, if you 
are failing to spend much time in prayer for them. Um, a lot of times I, I feel like uh, the walls can be formed um, in relationships and and prayer isn't like a magic potion where uh, somebody's gonna just you know go bawling at your feet saying oh I've I've done all of these things wrong but I do think that there is something to be said um, that whenever you are talking to the God of this universe for your children that it changes the way that you see them and sometimes even the way that you respond to them. Yeah. I, I would say this, and I, I would challenge mothers and fathers as well, is number one, the power of your prayer life <clears throat> reflects greatly upon your kids. In other words, am I praying for their salvation? Am I praying for their future spouse? Am I praying for their wisdom as they make decisions going through school? Am I leading them in ways? Am I praying with them? Not just for them, but with them. When they deal with difficulties, you sit them down and say, hey, let's pray about this. Or do you just go, oh, well, we got to make the wise decision. Both being good, one being the best. I think praying with your kids is huge. As a matter of fact, uh, D.L. Moody says this, the impression that a praying mother leaves upon her children is lifelong. Perhaps when you are dead and gone, your prayers will be answered. You don't know what that looks like. Or you don't know how long it's going to take. I can, I, I tell you one story that I can remember. When, when I ruptured my spleen uh, skiing up near Seattle, Washington, um, I remember calling my mom and later my mom told me, she goes, for some reason, at the moment you were hurt, I got an overwhelming ache and a, and a confirmation from the spirit that I need to be praying for you. Before I had ever contacted her and told her I was in the hospital getting ready to go through surgery, I had a flight five helicopter or anything like that. And you know how comforting that was to know that my mom was praying for me in that moment and in that time while skiing. And that's exactly what's going on here. Hannah is desperately praying to the Lord, seeking God in everything, even knowing that right now Samuel wasn't even born yet. But as a result of her prayer life, Samuel is born. And that's one of what we want to jump into the last point. The last point being this, that a mother's sacrifice and worship is huge. And the reason why I say that is this. If you look into verse 11 and then 19 through 28 is this. Number one, in verse 11, Hannah's pouring out her heart to the Lord, and she basically says this, Do not forget your servant, but give her a son, and then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And so here's what I want you to think about. Worship must be the first response from every mother and every father and every potential mother and every potential father. Do you offer your kids as a sacrifice? Are you raising them up to be obedient to follow God? Are you seeking that out? Because literally she's asking God for something and then she basically says this, and I will give them back to you. The blessing you've bestowed upon me I am going to give back to you, almost like a tithe. It's almost this idea that what God has entrusted me with, with my kids, what I am a steward of, I am giving back to the Lord so that he can make them even greater. Because God is the one who works in their lives, not us. And I think that's the important thing to think about when it comes to worship, when it comes to sacrifice and what we deal with on our kids, that's how we begin to progress and move forward. So in the midst of her heartache, she prayed and her prayer was answered and yet she gave him back. How does that affect us in our marriage or in our relationship with our kids? 
Well, I think um, just as the psalmist said, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I think that includes um, the relationships that we have with each other. We have to understand that we are just stewards of the relationships that we've been placed right. in um, in our marriage and in uh, parenting, in our friendships, um, that people belong to God first. And so we have to be willing to um, to give them uh, over to him. And I remember uh, reading a book several years ago and uh, talked about how we should hold on to relationships that we uh, come into contact with with an open hand, that we shouldn't clinch on to them, but that we should have them with an open hand so that God can do with those people whatever he wants. Yeah. And we're going to kind of wrap up with this because I want to I want to focus on just one quick thing. One of the greatest struggles I believe most parents have is to want to hold on to our kids so tightly and not let them go. And it's this whole idea of the open hand principle. You know, most parents want to be helicopter parents. They hover over their kids. They want to control everything that's going on. And you've got to train your kids to be wise and be obedient, to make wise decisions based upon biblical standards. And I just want to ask this question. Have you given your kids over to the Lord? Do you turn them over to that? Because here's, here's the, the, the whole beauty of what takes place in verse 21. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord, Hannah did not go. Now, she's had Samuel, and she said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. See, the beauty of this text is this, that God blesses her with something, and she turns right back around and gives him back to the Lord. And we know that Samuel does some great things. Samuel is a great prophet who, who is a great leader within the Israelite nation and things like this. But she responded in worship. And so this idea of a double portion or a double blessing is this, I believe. That God wants to pour out his blessing upon our children. And sometimes, or in reality, all the time, we need to offer our kids up as sacrifices. In other words, offering them in worship to God. Because the mother's response and sacrifice in worship is huge. Because your kids learn from you just as much as they learn from fathers, the benefit and the sacrifice that comes along with worship. Yeah, and I would encourage you even uh, after this is over to uh, read chapter 2. Um, where it's Hannah's prayer. I mean, it just she just pours out her heart um, after God has answered her prayer. And I mean, she didn't forget after, after mm -hmm. God answered her prayer to go back and worship. Like when she said, I'm going to give him over, that's exactly what she did. And then she worshiped God through all of that. Yeah. Here's what I want to do. This is our last uh, moment <clears throat> is this. I want to encourage you today that if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that that's the first and foremost thing you can do whether a mother or a father, in order to be the person who leaves a lasting influence, a lasting legacy of influence over your kids and their kids and their friends and, and, and things like that, you need to have a relationship with Jesus first. And the beauty of this text, the beauty of this passage is this, that God wants to pour out a double portion of blessing upon you. But you need to put your faith and trust in him first. That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was for your sins and my sins. That he offers us life and life more abundantly, including life and heartache and brokenness that he'll be with us. 
So we want to encourage you. If this is your first time, you say, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus today. He is there for you. He will carry the weight of your burdens. He will walk you through. You don't have to worry about any of that. You confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you of any and all unrighteousness. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And then if you've made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, would you go to our website and click on the tab that says Jesus. Father, we pray today that you would be with the mothers and the fathers and the families who have been present. We pray that you would speak to them through your word. God, we know that in the midst of heartache and and struggle and difficulty that you are walking with us. You are right there with us. And so God, maybe there's a mother who's dealing with that. Would you lift her up and encourage her that she knows that her value is not wrapped up in what she can't bear right now because maybe she's struggling with infertility, but her value is, is in who she is in you. Lord, may we be mothers and fathers who pray and who sacrifice and who worship you with abandon, with complete abandon. And God, would you give us kids, or will you give us wisdom to deal with our kids, to raise them, to love, and to follow you in everything. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks. We'll see you guys next week.